This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 19 through 23, and talk about what it looks like to go all in as a follower of Christ and, and where we find the confidence to live that way. Um, before we get going, though, I want you to think of a time you were particularly uncomfortable. Uh, not necessarily like you were in a bad seat on an airplane or something like that, but uh, more in line with a, a time you were placed in a position, given a responsibility, a job that you knew was completely beyond your ability to do. I mean, maybe you think back to giving a presentation when you were in elementary, middle, high school, knowing you were in over your head. Maybe it was when you found yourself suddenly thrust into a job at work that you did not feel adequately prepared for, but you were on the spot and had to do it. I mean, think of that discomfort you felt, and and most of that discomfort was rooted in a lack of confidence. Right? You had never been there before. You'd never done that before. I mean, if you're a parent, especially if you're a dad, probably, think of the first time you had to change a dirty diaper. Right? That, like, I've never been this way before, and dear Jesus, help me get through it. Right? And so, but you did it. You pulled your shirt up over your nose, and you dove right in and did the very best you could. There are, when you lack confidence, it's a fairly miserable experience. Because the threat of failure is your constant companion. And you're pretty certain, I'm going to screw this up. And if there's a potential that other people watch and see that you screwed up, then the the fear is even greater. I remember I was, um, I think I was 15 years old. And the youth group I grew up in, in Topeka, Kansas, was traveling out to this little town called Kensington, Kansas, in northwest Kansas. You've You've never been there unless you have family who lives there, basically. It's one of, one of those towns. And so we were going out to Kensington to do, like, I think it was like kind of a spring break missions trip kind of deal. And we were serving the community, serving the church. And one of the things the church asked us to do, they said, well, since you guys are bringing a bunch of teenagers, will you do some uh, services in the evenings for our teenagers? Because they didn't really have a youth pastor or a youth group. And so my youth pastor said, yes, we'll do that. And he had the idea of, we'll do student-led services. And so everybody who had signed up said, okay, we'll do that. And so he starts going around the room in our meeting saying, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And I'm sitting there and he's telling the musical people, you're going to lead worship, you're going to sing, you'll play instruments. It was the 90s. So uh, if you grew up in church in the 90s, there was like a human video team. And he was like, you guys will do the human video. If you don't know what that is, you didn't miss much. But um, just know we used to think it was awesome. Uh, and so, but he, he's going around giving all the assignments and, and he's not giving me anything to do, which honestly I was kind of okay with. I figured, well, I'll just, I'll help load and unload the van and that'll pretty much be my job. And then he said, uh, and Chris, I want you to preach one of the nights in those services. And I was like, uh, okay. You know, because I was 15 and I wasn't going to display a lack of confidence in front of girls. Uh, and so I agreed to it. And then I went home and thought, I know what he asked me to do, and I can't do that. He wants me to preach in front of my friends. This will be terrible. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it, and so I tried to back out. I said, Billy, I don't, I, I don't think I'm supposed to do this. And he said, well, I mean, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but just like classic, I think this is like Youth Pastor 101. So Cameron, I don't know if you have this this in your notebook or not. I'm sure you do because you're really good at your job. But he, Billy looked at me and he said, well, Chris, I feel like God told me you're supposed to do it. 
And I feel like when you said yes, you would do it, that was a confirmation of what God said. But if you want to go against God's will for your life, I am not going to stop you. Fine, whatever, I'll do it. And so we go out to Kensington, and I, and I had worked hard because I knew how unprepared I was. And I thought, well, if I prepare more, I'll have more confidence. And I had eight handwritten pages of notes that when I did it in my room, that took about 15 minutes. And, and I thought that was plenty of time for, you know, your first sermon. And, and I, I felt okay about what God had told me to say. And then I, I stood up. And I was wearing my dad's tie because I thought at that time preachers wore ties, um, you know. And uh, so I was, I was standing there and I never looked up from my notes and my hands shook the whole time. And my voice did that weird quaver thing, where quiver, uh, where you feel it sounds like you're about to cry. Plus, I was going through puberty. So it was just a delightful experience for everyone there. And, uh, and, and what had taken 15 minutes in my room took about six minutes. And I just was like, thank you, Jesus. And I went and sat down. And my youth pastor had this horrified look of like, I've got to fill some time. So he got up and kind of redeemed it for me and basically preached the sermon that I, I should have preached that day. But I, even now, and, and this week, thinking about that experience, I could still feel that pit in my stomach of like, I think I might throw up. And some of you, you've been in those positions too, where suddenly you're thrust into something that's completely beyond your ability and you have absolutely no confidence that this is going to go well for you. But for me, that was uh, almost 20 years ago now. And so in the last 20 years, um, I was doing some math last week, which is, we know is a dangerous thing. But uh, as near as I can tell, since that time, I've preached about a thousand messages. And I no longer have that same sense of just abject terror when I get up here on a Sunday morning. All right, there's still insecurities, there's still things that have to be worked through, but I, I normally stand here with a confidence knowing this is what God has called me to do, this is the place that he has called me to do it, and I have this, this 20 years of experience of doing it that lets me know, you know, when I sit down, it's all going to be okay, because it's, it's his deal anyways, not mine. Now, that confidence I have is rooted in what God has done, and it's rooted in this long history of experiences, but uh, that confidence doesn't necessarily then translate to every other area of my life. Like, if you still take me and thrust me into a position that I'm completely unqualified for, that same old feeling, that pit in my stomach still comes back. So if, if we go over to St. John's this afternoon, and one of you is having appendicitis, and uh, we take you into the emergency room, and they wheel you back for surgery. And the surgeon says, you know what, Chris, why don't you come with us? And we scrub in, and then you're laying there on the table, and he gives me the scalpel. Suddenly, I feel exactly like I did as a 15-year-old boy in Kensington, Kansas. It's that fear of, like, somebody's about to die. You know, either, either you on the table or me from the anxiety that I'm experiencing. But you know, and we all know, a lack of confidence can be paralyzing. And a lack of confidence can often prevent us from stepping into what God has placed in front of us. This fear of, well, I can't do that because can hold us back from what God is calling us to. So what I want to talk to you about today, and, and I think we'll really be encouraged by what the scriptures teach us, is that we can confidently go all in in community together because for us. You know, we can have all kinds of objections of why I can't go all in in a Christian community. 
You know, and, and it might be your past hurts, your past failures, your past mistakes. Maybe you tried it once and you got burned really bad. Maybe other Christians were really mean to you. Maybe you were the mean Christian. There's all sorts of reasons that we think, no, I can't do that. But what I want to talk to us about this morning is that because of what Christ has done, we have confidence not only to enter into his presence, but to enter into deep and meaningful relationships with each other. And I think that's, that's vital for us to understand. You see, when God calls us to Jesus Christ, he not only calls us to be known by Jesus, but he calls us to be known by each other. Throughout the scriptures, when you read of placing your faith in Christ, it's always in the context of a community. You know, and one of, the, um, one of the greatest threats, I think, to the American church is that too many Christians mistake being part of an audience for being part of the church. And somehow we have been led to believe that by sitting in a seat two Sundays, three Sundays, four Sundays a month, by coming for an hour, singing a few songs, listening to a message, praying a prayer, and leaving, that this is the fullness of life that Christ has brought us into. And so our faith becomes very personal, very private, and we come, for the most part, as members of an audience coming to judge, to critique, to receive, and to leave. But the call to be part of the church is something much, much deeper than that. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next couple weeks. How, what does it look like for us to go all in in the community in which God has placed us? Which in our context is the local church and for us specifically is here at Christian Chapel. So just to be very straightforward, over the next three weeks, I'm going to uh, be very direct and give you a lot of opportunities to explore what it looks like for you to go all in. My goal in that is not to build our church programs. It's not to guilt you into doing something, but it's instead to show all of us that when we are willing to fully take our place as sons and daughters of Christ, it means we will take our place as brothers and sisters in Christ with those around us. And as we're willing to put in the time and the effort to build these lasting and meaningful relationships, they will be a source of tremendous strength and faith to us through every season of life. But again, we have to understand, where do we have the confidence to jump into that relationship? Because most Christians agree with that. Yes, that's a good idea. I want not only a strong relationship with God, but I want a strong relationship with others. But we all have our own individual hangups that keep us from jumping in. You think, well, if people really knew what I did, they wouldn't want me in their community. If they knew who I used to be, or if they knew who my family was, if they knew my history, if they knew my struggles, they wouldn't want me there. And so to start this morning, what I want to talk to us about is the confidence we have collectively to enter into God's presence, and how that confidence then transfers to us being able to confidently engage in relationships with one another. So to do that, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. If you have a Bible with you, you can follow along. If not, uh, it'll be here on the screens for you to read with me. The writer says in Hebrews 10, verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. I mean, that, that, like I said, that song we sang earlier preached the sermon and this is where it comes from. 
You know, the, the whole thing is about boldly we approach God's throne. Blameless, now we're coming home. And it, it comes from the truth declared in this passage. Now, for us to understand it, we're going to have to do a little work to understand the depth and the meaning of what's being said here. Okay, so uh, again, there's a, there's a huge gap between us and the original audience to which Hebrews is written, but we're all uh, fairly intelligent people. And so I'm, I'm guessing you've already surmised that the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews, right? Jewish people. It's kind of a giveaway in the title of the letter itself. But so it's written to uh, Jewish believers, to those who have not yet become believers. And the whole point of Hebrews is to show how Jesus is the new and better way to God, that he is the complete fulfillment of the old covenant, the old Testament. He is the introduction of a new covenant. He is the perfect and final sacrifice, the perfect and final high priest, the perfect and final forgiveness for sins, all of these things. So as you read through Hebrews, it says that over and over and over again. When you get to Hebrews 10, he, the, the writer has made a, a huge argument for Christ as the perfection of all things and our acceptance as people of God through him. And so when he says, therefore, he's saying, because all of this is true, now we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Again, here's where we have to do some work. For the the Jews who read that, that was immediately significant to them. The most holy place took their minds to the temple. And if you read, I mean, you can go back and read through your own Old Testament and read uh, especially through Genesis and Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Read through the, the first five books of the Bible. And what you'll find is God establishing his relationship with his people. And he is very specific in the way they are to worship. And, and that, um, those specific rules and regulations are intended to remind them that he's the creator of all things and it's his right to dictate how they live, how they worship, how they eat, where they live, who they marry, all of these things. And as they follow all of these rules, it's to continually remind them they are a people called out and set apart for God. But when we get to Hebrews, again, he's saying Jesus is the perfection of all that. So you don't have to follow those rules anymore. Now you yourself have confidence to enter the most holy place. And he's, he's referencing the way that the temple itself was designed. So you can, you can go look later. If you have a Bible, sometimes even in the back of your Bible, it'll have a little map that'll show you like how the temple was laid out. And so the, the way the temple was constructed is there were walls around the outside that separated this space from the outside world. This was land dedicated to God, a building constructed to, in, in some supernatural sense, be the place where he resided with his people in a unique and powerful way. And then as you entered into the temple, there were various levels and various places where certain people could go to this courtyard and certain people could enter a little farther and certain people could enter a little farther. And as you got into the temple itself, there was the holy place. And then beyond the holy place was the most holy place. Other translations call it the holy of holies. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept and other symbols of God's intervention in the nation of Israel. It was a a place of tremendous significance for the Jews. It was so holy and so set apart that the high priest alone could enter in to the most holy place. And he could only do that on one day a year after going through just a, a ridiculously long process of purifying himself. And even as he entered in, there would have been some trepidation in his own heart and in the hearts of all knew who was happening on the day of atonement of will God receive us this year? And so the idea of confidence and the most holy place 
seems like an oxymoron to a Jewish person. These two things cannot go together. But what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us of is what happened on the day Jesus was crucified. And if you go back and you read the Gospels, you'll see that when Jesus breathes his final breath, there, is, there are supernatural events that occur. The sky goes dark. There's an earthquake, and then in a couple of the gospel accounts, there's a one-sentence description that says, and in the temple, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And again, we read that and think, okay, whatever. But to the Jews, what that meant was the, the curtain that separated the most holy place from everywhere else, the curtain that hid the reminders of God's provision and salvation, the curtain through which only the high priest could enter, had now been torn from top to bottom. The veil had come down, and it was a physical reminder to every Jew and to every Gentile that we all now can boldly approach the throne of God. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we now have confidence to stand in his presence as his sons and his daughters. So this is tremendously good news for us. I mean, think of, think of what this means. This means for us that the God who made everything, the creator and sustainer of all things, who is without fault and without blemish, who is so holy he cannot stand the sight of sin, that somehow through Jesus Christ, he now allows us to stand unashamed and with confidence in his presence. This is the core of the gospel. This is the good news for everyone, everywhere. And when we begin to understand it, we see the significance of what the writer says. We have confidence. You see, sometimes we're, we're hesitant to enter into community with other believers because we think we're just not good enough. You know, you look around on a Sunday morning and, and you see people who appear to have it all together. I have these conversations at times with people who are new to Christian Chapel or, or maybe somebody who's been a part of us for a long time, but they've experienced some, some kind of significant failure in their life. And they'll say, you know what, I, am, I just I don't know that I feel comfortable because everyone here has everything together. And my response every single time is, you just don't know us very well, right? Like, give it time. We are a community of failures and screw-ups, every single one of us. Right? And, and you can giggle, but you're a failure. Right? You've got secrets. You've got skeletons in the closet. All of us do. The most, I mean, you can, you can have the nice car and the nice home and the beautiful spouse, and you look like you came from a magazine, and your children are compliant. But if we know you long enough, we learn your secrets. And that's a good thing. Because it reminds us there are no perfect people. There's only a perfect Savior. And none of us, through our own effort, will ever be good enough to enter into the presence of God and stand before him. But what the writer of Hebrews tells us is now we all have confidence because of what Christ has done. Just consider that, that, that you, that me, a, a weak, sinful person, a person who's made 10,000 promises to God and broke them 10,000 times. 
A person who has said time and time again, God, if you'll forgive me, I'll never do that again, only to do that again and again and again and again. And what he says is because of Jesus, you still stand confidently before God. And he no longer sees your sin and he no longer sees your failure, but he sees you as his son and his daughter. This is tremendously good news to us. And and I know we are a quiet, reserved church and nobody would ever want to vocally affirm the good news that Christ has done inside of us. But I know inside your heart right now, it's bubbling up. And I know you understand it and you feel it and you experience it. And what we need to understand is God says we have this confidence so now we can live in it. And now we can share it with each other. And now we don't have, I mean, it's, and here's the thing. It's not arrogance. It's not conceit. It's not saying, man, God is so lucky to have me on his team. And you people are so lucky that I go to church with you. Like, this is a holier place because I put my butt in this chair. That's not, that's not it, right? It's holy confidence rooted entirely in what Jesus has done. It is tremendous and unending good news to us that no matter how many times or how majestic our screw-ups have been, the forgiveness of Christ is greater And it's available and it's unending. And so we, no matter what, confidently stand in God's presence. I mean, this is a a reality-altering statement that we read. And so if if I can confidently stand before God this way, then why would I be afraid to enter into community with a bunch of other screw ups? I want it, right? And so so my hope for you, my hope for us at Christian Chapel is that we never become a place where people come sit and observe, but that we are always a place where we are transformed by God and we are transformed in our relationships with each other. You think of the confidence you have when you walk into your own home versus when you walk into the home of someone you don't know. Right? Or if you're part of Christian Chapel, think of the confidence and the comfort you have when you walk in here on a Sunday morning versus when you're out of town and you, you just stop in at a new church you've never been to before. There is a comfort, there is a peace, there is a sense of, I belong here. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. That's how we feel in the presence of God. We no longer stand in fear and trepidation but we stand in confidence knowing this is who God has made me to be. This is the identity he has given me in Christ. But what we know is it is hard to live in that confidence, right? Life conspires to strip us of that confidence. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on to tell us once we have been made confident, once we have been called in, we must then live with that confidence. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So this reminds us that our confidence is rooted in what Christ has done inside of us. And when it comes to this idea of now that you're confident, you should draw near to God, a lot of times that can make us feel like, okay, I've been made confident. Now I need to go out and earn it. 
I need to make sure that I'm drawing near to God every day. So, so we begin to attach these exterior behaviors of, well, I need to read my Bible. I need to go to this Bible study. I need to be part of this group. I need to pray. I need to give. I need to serve. I need to fast. I need to go on a mission trip. I need to do all these things. And, and somehow we think that if we, if we move outside of ourselves and do these, that we'll be closer to God. And while all of those things are good and all of them are part of drawing near to God, in and of themselves, they're powerless to make us confident because our confidence resides in what Christ has already done inside of us. When I was uh, a kid, my grandparents lived on a farm out in western Oklahoma. And I didn't grab the, the top portion of this, but I'm sure many of you have seen these little oil lamps, right? And so my, my grandma had them all around her house, and she had these little wooden holders that were mounted to the wall, and these fit in them, and they just kind of hung there. And so at some point, every one of her 16 grandkids asked her, Grandma, what are those? Because we never saw them lit. We never saw them do anything. They were just you know, those, your grandma has random decorations in her house that you don't know what they are. So we would ask her about them. And like a good grandma, she would not only tell us those are lamps, but she would describe to us how they worked. And she would begin to tell us when I was a kid out on the farm, this is how we lit our house at night. We didn't have electricity. And so when the sun went down, we would go around and we would light these candles. And then she would explain to us how they worked because all we understood were wax candles. And a wax candle, you light it and eventually it it, you know, it burns and goes out and there's nothing left. And so she would light it, which, you know, we were little boys, so it was fire and it was good. Um, the same reason that all the men suddenly started paying attention, right? It's just, there's fire. Uh, and so she would start to explain to us that it's got a wick and the wick goes down into the oil. And as long as you keep oil in the jar, the fire keeps burning. And we, you know, again, we were, we were fascinated by it and, and uh, also thought, man, Grandma, you were alive before electricity? Like, how old are you? Uh, which I, th- I think she really appreciated too. Um, but I was thinking about her this week and, and those oil lamps she had in her house and a statement here in Hebrews where he says, draw near to God. And he says, as we draw near to God, we'll have hearts full of faith. Our conscience will be free of guilt, will be cleansed by the sprinkling of his blood. And it's, it's a reminder to us that we are made confident in Christ and drawing near to him is not about us going out and doing something more, but it's about us tapping into the well that he has already drilled in our heart. See, he has made you confident. And so all of your scripture reading and all of your engaging in community and all of your prayers and your worship and your giving and your serving, all of those are not efforts to earn what you've already attained. But they're instead ways that you drill down deeper into it, that you remain connected to the fuel for the flame of your heart. And yet still we'll be tempted to find our confidence in a thousand other things in our jobs, in our kids, in our titles, our promotions, our homes, our possessions, in our grades, in our physical abilities, in our appearance, in all of these things. But if any time we try to fuel the flame of our life with anything but the gospel of Christ, we're setting ourselves up for failure. We're setting ourselves up for a life that's going to be defined by arrogance and conceit, by doubt and by disappointment. But when we surrender to Christ, when we begin to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, 
remembering that we have confidence because of what Christ has done. As we draw near to the God who has already ransomed our lives, then the flame will burn in every season of life. But for us to continue to live this way, we need each other. As you read through Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23, there's never a a singular, uh, singular piece of language in there. It's always us and we. We have confidence. Let us draw near. We have been washed. Let us hold unswervingly. It's a reminder to us that, that our confidence resides not only in what Christ has done inside of me, but part of my confidence resides in what Christ has done in you. And there are going to be seasons of life where my life makes it feel like that flame is burning very, very small. Where the pressures of life come and the temptations pile up. And in those seasons, I need to see the flame in your life. I need to hear your story. I need to be reminded that God is with me. I need to be reminded that my confidence does not reside in who I was or who I am or who I might become, but it rests in the finished work of Christ. See, God created us to experience this confidence together, to come together and remind one another that the gospel is true for me and the gospel is true for you and the gospel is true for all of us in every season. And so we try to live in that community in a variety of ways. Christian Chapel, one of the ways we do it is through home groups for adults. They kick off tonight, they meet the first and the third Sunday of every month. At the same time, we do groups for our students upstairs, Pastor Cameron and Laura leading those. We have groups for our children. Trying to help all of us recognize and remember, Jesus did not just come to reconcile me to God, but me to you and you to me. And he allows us to grow in our confidence together as we remind one another of what Christ has done and what Christ is doing. But for us to experience the depth of these relationships, for us to have friendships that are, that are significant enough that our friends can speak truthfully to us, It's going to require a significant investment of our time. You have never made a great friend by hanging out together for an hour, right? Maybe it started that way, but it was built through a continued investment of your time. It's the reason, it's the reason, our, the reason, our, the reason our best people we work with or live near or family members or people we go to school with because you spend so much time together, you share so much life together. And so my encouragement to each of us is don't stop pursuing those relationships. They are critical to you continually fueling the flame of your life from the well that Christ has drilled in you, the well of his grace and his mercy that tells you every day you can confidently stand before God. And as we preach that message to ourselves and we preach it to each other, it results in us being that city on a hill, that light that cannot be extinguished, 
And as we live not only in an authentic, authentic relationship with God, but in authentic relationships with others, we stand out in a very superficial and shallow culture. And as we walk with each other through the ups and downs of life, it bears testimony to the effectiveness of God's grace in every season. Many of you, like Angie and I, you have experienced the richness of life that comes from experiencing God's grace together. It is a a beautiful gift of God when he gives us friends and he gives us mentors and he gives us those who are coming behind us to invest in. And in each one of those relationships, we're being reminded God has a plan and he's working that plan. But we have to invest in those relationships to have that experience. And so my hope for you today is that you will find time in your schedule. Actually, not that you'll find time, that you will make time in your schedule because you'll never find it, right? It's, It's always, you never have enough anyways. So you have to make the time, you have to make the space to grow in those relationships. And so that's what a home group is. It's just an opportunity for you to carve out four hours a month to say, hey, we'll, we'll be together. I'll make this a priority. If we're out of town, we'll get home in time to be part of our home group. If we're going out of town, we'll go on the second Sunday of the month, right? It, it's, it's just making this investment because here's what I can promise you. Life is gonna be hard. Life is gonna be difficult and it's gonna be better if you're not alone. And we see that so many times. And sometimes you're gonna be the one serving and sometimes you're gonna be the one receiving the encouragement from others. But in all of those seasons, you will be reminded of who you are and of what Christ has already done in you. And you will reach down into that well once again, and it will be a source of life and hope and salvation to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.